welcome to this week's bonus episode of With Love Victoria. I'm creator Rachel Garnett, and today I'm joined by the prince himself, Mr. Chris Prassy. How are you? Hello, I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing absolutely wonderful. Glad to have another episode out there in the world, and glad to have you here to talk about it. Thrilled to be here. Yes. So, Chris, you play uh, Prince Henry of Battenberg. We got to see your love story with Princess Beatrice come to life, something we've only heard about. So tell us a little bit about that. How was that stepping into these shoes? Well, it's it's so apt for me because these are the roles I have always loved to play and, be, and drawn to, to the point where during college, people apologized for casting me in the same role again, saying, you were just so good at the audition. <laughs> so when you told me about this part, I'm like, no, this couldn't be more perfect. I don't, it's not that I get tired of playing these parts because this just fits me so well. I love the romantic uh, princely roles, especially. <laughs> Yes, definitely. The you know that Rodgers and Hammerstein kind of sweeping romance yes. was what I was going for. And when I came to write this song, I literally already knew that it was going to be you. You didn't know, but I was like, "Oh, Chris is going to be Prince Henry, and I'm going to write this song for his beautiful, luscious voice." Oh yes, well, I really appreciate that. And uh, yeah, having a, a song written for you is is quite the honor. So. <laughs> Well, because last season you played quite a few characters, much like Rory, who we talked with last week. You were the heart and soul of season one, filling in every role, becoming any random person I threw at you. It was it was really fun. And uh, listening through season one again, it was cool being like, oh, that's right. I did that. And I had I got to learn the, the Brummie accent for that line. And I was rushing here. Yeah. Well, we were just talking before we started recording that, you know, you You also had never read through the script, so you didn't know the context of anything that I was sending you. There were two different storylines going on. It was really quite fun to hear it for for the first time. That was so funny. Actually, I remember when it aired, the first episode dropped, you texted me and you were like, oh, that's what this show's about? No idea. Had no idea. Uh, Yeah, I think I vaguely told you it was about Queen Victoria. Mm -hmm. Uh, Can you please record some vocal lines? And you were so gung-ho and ready to go. So going into season two, I really wanted to give you something to dig into to really show off your amazing talent because I heard and saw your amazing skills at being a chameleon in season one, but I wanted the audience to really get a a long moment to appreciate you. Oh, I love that and appreciate that. No, I love doing ensemble work because you get to just completely go full force into a new bit that might only be on stage for a few minutes. Uh, So uh, getting to switch that back around and really getting to dive into a significant character can be really fun too. Well, something that I've always thought about, um, especially when I was thinking about this being a stage show before it became a podcast, was how fun the ensemble would be to be in the show because there are so many characters that just come in, have a really nice little moment, and then go out of her life. Absolutely. And that's, uh, that's an ensemble I'd want to be in. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. So tell us a little bit, Chris, about coming into season two, having done season one in kind of that disconnected fashion, as we've talked about previously. This time, we, you came to the table read. You got to uh, know the plot of the season. But you also got to be this character who is so vital in the motivations and kind of emotional aura 
of one of our leads, which would be Princess Beatrice. So talk about approaching Henry, bringing him to life, knowing the weight he carries uh, in her life. Yeah, no, it was definitely a, a cool experience getting to do the full read through with the cast and see where the storyline was going and seeing how much weight he was going to play on on her heart moving forward. Uh, so even though it, it, it was just the one scene with him, uh, knowing how much that relationship needed to come through in that moment, it was like, okay, let's... And even when we were recording it, we were, let's get this through line so we see there's the frustration, but it's never at her. There is nothing but love and tenderness between them. And I, that's why I really wanted to to stress when we were going through how how that discussion would be going. Certainly. How did you approach this scene where you're wooing a young Princess Beatrice? This is before she's jaded, but she's still wrapped up in her mother's orbit very clearly, as you keep saying, you know, it's not your mother's life, it's your destiny. How did you approach that as compared to a more kind of straightforward romantic scene where both parties are gung-ho? Yeah, and uh, I think even when we, after we had read the scene during the read-through, you had asked um, the fellow cast members if, how it came off, and that, I was also, like, my, my intention was to make it seem that my frustration was never at her, and I wanted that love to be there, because it's so easy to be like, oh, he's a jerk, we don't want to root for him or their relationship. So that was really what I wanted to avoid having anyone think or feel that way. So I wanted to make sure that his love for her was the primary uh, through line through, through his dialogue. And even though he's frustrated, it's never with her. And the reason he is feels so strongly is because he feels so strongly for her. He doesn't want to put this huge burden on her and she's so stressed out with other things in her life. But this is also a huge moment for him. Something I'm curious about uh, uh, from the actor perspective now is, do you think this scene is exactly how it happened? Or is this the scene that is in Beatrice's mind? Is this what she's telling Maurice in that library? I think it's very... Easy to say uh, is probably a mixture of both. I think I think saying it's all reality or all fantasy is probably too easy an answer. Uh, I think like anytime you're recounting a memory, especially something so private and personal as that between you and, and a loved one, you you paint yourself in the best light and you want to protect the memory of someone that isn't there. And you can it's easy to be very defensive of someone that can't defend themselves any longer. Do you think that the value of that memory as a memory between two people who loved each other is tainted or strengthened by how Beatrice follows up this beautiful scene that you two have together by immediately equating it, equating your relationship to her mother's relationship with her father? It's probably something where... She probably does not try to do that, but then when it's just right there, it's impossible to ignore it. And then I'm sure it's easy to feel guilt of, am I just falling into these same thoughts constantly? And I think probably the reality is it's okay to feel, you know, however you feel is valid. And you can have your life and also appreciate my mother also went through something like this. And I think she even says, you know, she got through this, I can as well. And, you know, is told, 
but you don't have to do it on your own. Something that I tried to go for is that we're definitely seeing all of Beatrice's idiosyncrasies of how she deals with things such as grief. I think grief is probably the theme of season two are definitely things she has learned from her mother. But one of the biggest pieces, I would say even the thesis of how she approaches moving forward from grief is actually from you in the song. Um, Cause you say in this song- No one is something for all their life. No one is something for all of their life. Yes, correct. Uh, yes, I clocked that when I was going back through season one and I, and I had forgotten, oh, that's right she learned that from him and that was just one of those moments where you go mm, that's 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 grand well and so this is my question for you about that line and it was something i really couldn't decide when i was writing the music because i i knew that line was going to be there i thought it was a lovely parallel but it's you're not exactly saying the same thing right you know when you say no one is something for all of their life you're I think you're saying something very different from what she was saying at the end of season one, where she sings, no one is something for all their life. Therefore, I can pick which of the someones they were to represent them. Whereas, what do you think you are saying in that song? I, I think I took it as you feel this obligation, but you don't have to restrict yourself to this one thing, this one person in your life. And so with that being said, do you think... Beatrice's interpretation of this thing that this man she loved said to her being so vastly different from what he meant is a betrayal of their relationship. Uh, it's one of those things where you say something and you stop and you smile because that's something that they had said. And even if it's not the same way they used it, it's almost a way of holding them in your heart mm -hmm. and, and uh, remembering, ah, I got that from them. And even if you're changing the meaning of it, I don't think it betrays the thought and the memory that's in there. I think that is so fitting to Beatrice as a character. It's almost she has all these pieces of people that she's lost in her life. Right. And she doesn't, she doesn't know how to fit the pieces together anymore. So she's going to keep all the pieces, but put them in her own words almost. Right. It's like wearing a a ring or glasses, it becomes a part of you and you don't forget it. And it's good because you don't want to forget. Yes. Well, so in this scene following your, uh, your proposal and this love song, you actually come back in the show and you were this character in season one and you're this character again. You play Beatrice's manservant, Mr. Williams. Mr. Williams. Mr. Williams. And in a way, I didn't intend it at this, as this, but in a way, you know, you're still there. You know, there, here is this comforting, especially um, when in later episodes and later in the timeline, you are this like constant presence. And I, I think it's almost fitting that you played her husband and then you later played this other male <laughs> figure in her life that it's almost like, I wouldn't say he's quite reincarnated, but I would say in a way, There's I the think familiarity Mr. there that's probably comforting. <laughs> a thousand percent. I mean, let's talk about Mr. Williams. You know, he's not her husband. He's not, um, he, you know, he's not a part, a member of the family. He's a servant he's a and he works for her. companion though, for sure. Yeah, exactly. And you know, something we'll see in episode four when, um, Abdul Karim enters the picture. 
servants in this world can have very complicated relationships with the royals that they're serving. Talk a little bit about bringing Mr. Williams to life and, you know, what approaching that was like, making him more than just yes ma'am, no ma'am, because I think you very much did make him a a well-rounded character. Oh, thank you. I think whenever I play, I've just in my personal life, I've had those relationships with someone where I am in a, not to say subservient role, but I am working for someone. But I like to have personal connections with everyone I interact with. And it's that line of, I don't want to be impertinent, but I want you to know that we can talk and we can even make jokes and it's okay. I'm not, I'm a full person here and it's okay to be a full person with me. And so I kind of, I felt like I wanted to bring that to his relationship with Beatrice, where we, we've done this many, many years. I'm not trying to be impertinent, but yes, you know, we can have fun. Absolutely. And that definitely comes through. And I think we see in this season in particular, you kind of testing the waters, uh, as you say, I think in each appearance, you say something more frank, uh, Yes, And, you know, in episode four, that kind of rears its head as being a bit sassy even. Um, But I think in episode five, we see you dare to be vulnerable and ask her to be vulnerable with you. And I'm not going to spoil for the audience how you do that. But um, in a in kind of a teasing way, can you talk about your final scene with Beatrice uh, in the show and what it was like playing a character much like the audience who's been watching this task happen but hasn't been able to interfere at all. I think there is, even when we recorded this, there was that sense of there's some concern there because he's watched her for so many years putting these diaries together. And when it's over, is that a good thing? Is that a relief? Uh the concern for her well-being of for just from even a mental standpoint are you going to be okay now that this chapter is closing because so many so many times like we've said Beatrice has lost so many people and probably a lot of motivation to pour herself into this because it, it can be a distraction from having to feel and process other things and when you lose that distraction you have no choice but to feel everything else at once and i think Mr. Williams is probably astute enough to think this this could be bringing something new here that we need to be very careful about. Yes, and I think that you do that with grace and aplomb. Oh, wonderful. Um, well, it has been a long two seasons. Uh, I mean, it's been it's been two years, but so that's pretty long. Uh, and you've played a lot of characters. Uh, we tried to count them once and we lost count. Uh, t- talk about some of your favorites. You, you mentioned that you, you, know, you love doing the ensemble work. I also love whenever I was around you, when you were in an ensemble, you would create such vivacious backstories. In particular, I always think about your My Fair Lady backstory. Um, oh, I, yeah. I loved that one. Um, so talk about what, do you have any memorable backstories or uh, favorite characters you've played uh, throughout this saga that has been with Love, Victoria? I think my favorite characters were definitely the ones that, like, it's fun to throw on a, an English accent. I think a lot of people would say that's probably one of the easier ones if you're an American to, to use <laughs> soft with Mars. But the ones where I got to kind of work a little harder, like, oh, for Henry, 
I was never as confident with my German accent. So I went and practiced, practiced, practiced that. And I was like, this is way too heavy. Let's pull it back. Um, and then for the, was it Zarevich, the oh, Russian? I fellow. love that bit. It is so, everyone's accent in that scene, it's, there's just tons of different accents. They are all brilliant. I'm, I always laugh so hard. I called up my friend and his father was from Russia. And so he's on the background of the call going through the lines, helping me get, because I wanted to be authentic as possible. Um, so that was a fun one. And then anytime, anytime anyone knows me, there's, I love to play a very old man. So <laughs> I will sometimes go too far into that at a moment's notice. It's like, okay, we don't have to age him quite that much. Or even when I was doing the, or I you say it what would be assassin. It was tobacco leaves, but just going to shout that with a fun uh, Burmese accent. Yes, that was uh, my favorite of your old men. Is uh, is one of the one liners where is the one that where you're talking to yourself in Ascension, uh, and you go, "Highness, so you mean?" I'm like, "Who is this grizzled guy?" <laughs> um, uh, yeah, you uh, you and Rory both uh, brought so many fun accents, so many characters to the table. And it really, I think, added to the musicality of the show. You were talking about playing the Zarevich. It's during that Suter waltz that, uh, even now when I go back and listen to it, that's almost part of the music, the part of the song now for me. Like I could hear in my mind, even before you start talking, that my beautiful princess. Beautiful. <laughs> yes, please don't. Uh, <laughs> Uh, be anyone be offended by my horrible Russian accent, but uh, <laughs> admire Chris's amazing one. Well, Chris, before we go, thank you so much for joining us today. Where can we find you, support you, join your fan club? <laughs> well, with the world as it is, I haven't been as active on the social medias, but I am at Prastifer on Twitter and Instagram, and I will probably post again there one day. And then on YouTube under Christopher Prassy, I have good amount of songs and with uh the mic i purchased for with love victoria i can <laughs> record a lot more eventually once things calm down a little this weather is uh it's been challenging yeah it is snowy on the east coast it, it, it's snowing right now i'm glad we got through this without losing power yeah it's so funny you talk about that mic <laughs> that you bought for with love victoria because whenever i go to hire people and they're like Oh, I don't have a mic. I'm like, yeah, well, Chris bought a whole setup, so maybe you can help a girl out. <laughs> I'm kidding, but I am always happy to exploit your love and labor. Yeah, my, uh, my love for new things and buying things. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for joining us here today, Chris, and thank you for helping bring With Love Victoria to life for two seasons. Absolutely. Uh, Thank you to the audience for listening with Love Victoria. We'll be back on Tuesday with episode three. We hope to hear you there.